This is Spiritual Principles for Emotional Healing with Dr. Denise Johnson, a show dedicated to the integration of spirituality, faith, mental health, and emotional wellness. I believe where your spirit leads, your emotions, power, and destiny will follow. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Spiritual Principles for Emotional Healing, and I am your host, Christian emotional wellness expert and licensed mental health professional, Dr. Denise Johnson. And the excellent topic for today's show is, is psychotherapy really for black people? And my guest is the wonderful Terrence Nichols. And this is part two to a show we began last time. Terrence Nichols is a licensed mental health counselor who has devoted himself to working with struggling individuals and couples. He obtained his master's degree in mental health counseling from Pace University and his license in mental health counseling in both New York and New Jersey. He is currently functioning as a psychosocial rehabilitation therapist at an inpatient psychiatric hospital that is ranked in the top five for psychiatry in the United States and number one for psychiatry in New York. Mr. Terrence is also the founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling, a private practice that provides hope, encouragement, and guidance to people struggling with various mental health issues and life challenges. Mr. Terrence is trained in both secular and Christian counseling. Additionally, he is an adjunct professor at Pace University, where he teaches marriage and family therapy in a master's level program. Mr. Terrence also hosts the Facebook page, Jesus Saves Marriages. Well, Mr. Terrence, it is my absolute joy and delight to have you as a guest on the show today, and I want to thank you so much for the openness of heart to talk with me in the audience today. It's my pleasure to be here with you, Dr. Denise. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. So didn't see it there. In our community, we kind of sometimes hold to, you know, we're not going to air our dirty laundry, right? Not put the family <laughs> yeah. stuff out there, right? So people yes. don't talk about it. So right. how it was actually brought to my attention was when I started working at the hospital. Okay. And... I started to see that more of us were being admitted to the hospital for various diagnoses. Okay. Um, and this was important because what was happening, or I think even still happens in our communities, a lot of times because we don't seek therapy, we don't have a history of therapy. So if, let's say, I do something and I act out without a history of therapy or a mental illness, I'm going to go to jail, right? Right. But if I act out and I have a history of mental illness and I've been maybe managing that with medication and I can articulate that, let's say, when the police arrive on the scene, then I'm going to go to a psychiatric facility. Yes, and get help. And get help. 
and, you know, it brought to my mind, I said, how many of us are going to jail when we really need to be going to the hospital? Right. And it's quite a few, I would tell you. Yeah. Um, yes. Because I, sometimes I'll look at, you know, other people that are not black, right, and I'll read through the chart and I'll say, man, this person did all these things. And I'll say, if this was me, I would be in jail. You know, it's but again, true. because there's a, docu- <laughs> there's a documented mental health history, it doesn't go that course. So that was one thing that really opened my eyes to the need for it um, uh, in the black community. And then the other thing is just studying the diagnoses. And, you know, in studying that and preparing for my license, I, I'm looking at a lot of the criteria and I'm saying, man, mm-hmm. there's so many people that I've known that have suffered with these things. You know, yes. and in retrospect, you can say, oh, you know what, like this guy now, I look back in retrospect, I see this person probably had this disorder. Right. Uh, this person looked malnourished and I never saw them eating because maybe they had an eating disorder. This person right. always made excuses about leaving the house and you know what, they probably had agoraphobia. So yes. in getting to understand the diagnoses, I think I was made aware of um, the need for it in in the black community. There are mental right. health issues. It's not something that just other people suffer from. We all right. can suffer from it. Yes, I agree. I agree. Can you give some specific examples of some of the issues and problems in mental health for black yes, people? Yes, I, I can. I have a Excellent. few, probably about 10 of them. Wonderful. <laughs> um, the one, that com- <laughs> one that comes to mind um, first is something called cultural mistrust. Okay. Um, and what that is is when African Americans develop beliefs about clinicians of European descent, and based on those beliefs, exercise what they perceive as essential behaviors to su- survive and thrive in society. All right. And this cultural mistrust is fueled by misconduct by um, white healthcare providers in the past that make us right. uh, apprehensive about seeking treatment by white healthcare providers. Right. And right. the one that was documented is the Tuskegee experiment. Yes, of course. Which, uh, oh my goodness. And that yeah. is, you know, from 1932 to 1972, this government agency initiated the syphilis study using almost 399, almost 400 um, black men from Tuskegee, Alabama. They were unaware of their diagnosis. They were never told of their diagnosis. Um, And the goal of their study was just to see how syphilis progressed in people of African descent. Um, The horror of it was when the study began, there was no effective remedy, but 15 years into the study, Penicillin was found to be a cure, but it wasn't offered to these folks that were in the study. They weren't informed of their diagnosis. Treatment was withheld, and many of them died from the disease uh, or disease-related complications. And we still to this day, Dr. Denise, don't know the implications of that and how that affected their kids and their kids' kids. You know, for generations could have been affected by that. Um, I agree. And let me let me just add to that that you know that the medical mistreatment of African Americans or Africans goes all the way back to slavery times. And yeah. you know, 
where black people were heinously operated on, not given proper accommodations. And, 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 you know, and these things are still seen currently in terms of the, the quality and the caliber of the medical treatment that a lot of black people get or don't get, as the case may be, in the inner city. And so I agree with you. There, there is a real mistrust in the black community about how, how much can they trust the medical establishment to really see them as human beings and to really right. give them the best treatment optimal treatment um we just haven't seen it as a group of people um and so and that includes mental health for that reason because you know we right. also have stories right on on yeah. how mental health is is served differently uh based on community and race and status as well yes and to, to piggyback on that you know african americans there are studies that show that we're often misdiagnosed um yes and in fact, three to four times more likely to misdi- be misdiagnosed with psychiatric, psychiatric disorders and mental illness. Um, right. And also to touch on something you just said, you know, I remember when I relocated, um, I had high blood pressure and I needed a doctor to manage my blood pressure in this new area. And I went to this magazine, which was like the who's who of doctors in my area. Yeah. And I found this cardiac specialist. I said, this is great. I went to see her, and she wasn't welcoming. She, wow. I, I know, it just blew my mind as a cardiac specialist. Wasn't familiar with the blood pressure medication that I was, was taking. Um, and she never even took my blood pressure. Wow. <laughs> now, if someone comes in telling you they have high blood pressure issues, the one thing you would make sure that you would do was take their blood pressure. So it clearly communicated to me that she wasn't interested in me or my my health at that time. And I never went back, but you know what? That leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yes, it does. You know? Um, And so you start to say, you know, am I going to get the care from people who don't look like me? Um, And then, as an African-American man, you know, there are stereotypes about men, African-American men. So sometimes you think to yourself, you know, am I, should I go to this provider who has probably been subjected to all these stereotypes and are they going to, you know, feel like I am undeserving of this treatment for some reason? So right. all of those things, you know, um, kind of fuel this, this mis- cultural mistrust in African-Americans. But in addition to that, there's stigma. Yes. Um, Stigma is, you know, we hold on to strong beliefs that sometimes about going to therapy. Again, you think that, you know, you must be crazy, quote-unquote crazy, in order to seek treatment. Right. Right. And that's far from the truth. Um, Some feel that, you know, I'm the only one going through this. And because of that, they're not willing to share with anyone what they're going through and they struggle alone. Right. You know, and then touching on something I said earlier, people are are so guarded, they think to themselves, you know, I don't want to put my stuff out there. Yes. You know, so they, they hold it in and they don't get the treatment that they need. So for us to move past that, we have to realize, you know, there's certain things that we just can't fix on our own. Right. And once we come to that realization, say, you know, be willing to say, I'm going to be vulnerable and 
put my information out there, be candid with it so that I can get the help that I need. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, let me just also add, I think that a lot of black people in particular, they underestimate the the added stress that black people carry uh, oh, yeah. in, relation, in relation to dealing with race and racism day in and day out and day in and day out and other issues like poverty and you know, quality of medical care and jobs and and it adds an extra stressor to us that also impacts our emotional well-being, right, and our mental health. Um, absolutely, absolutely. We have economic disparities, um, yes. racism, which we're seeing bubble to the surface now in the media. Those yes. things compound what we're going through, you know, um, and and that's, that's really, again, all the more reason why we need to, to seek help. Sometimes it's the people, people are unaware that, you know, they have enough symptoms to even qualify for a diagnosis. And, um, you know, if you're seeing, let's say challenges with your sleep and appetite and you withdraw from doing things that you want to enjoy and, and the person identifies with being depressed, I often ask people, I say, how long do you think you need to be in that depressive state for it to qualify as major depressive disorder. And people right. often say six months, a year. Yeah. But yeah. the diagnostic statistical manual that we use to diagnose people says two weeks. Yes, it's two weeks. It's two weeks. So, and, yeah. and again, we've, we as people have been dealing with things for weeks and months and maybe even yes. years. And yeah. we don't think that maybe what we have is severe enough or don't even realize that we or we definitely satisfy all the criteria for this diagnosis, and that there's treatment out there that can help. So, yes. um, more more awareness about diagnoses is important. Doubt that treatment will be effective is another thing, right? Some believe that therapy is not designed for African Americans, and therefore it won't be effective for us. And that is far from the truth. Um, right. We are human beings. We often advocate for that right we say that we're not we're just like everyone else we want to be treated like everyone else well yes guess what our body chemistry is similar to everyone else and right. you know what the interventions that can be helpful for people who are not african-american can be helpful for us right so we need to drop that uh thought that you know treatment can't be effective <laughs> for us well i think this is the perfect place for a break Please join me after the break when my guest, licensed mental health professional, Terrence Nichols, founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling in White Plains, New York, will talk more about whether psychotherapy is really for black people.
Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Spiritual Principles for Emotional Healing, and I am your host, Dr. Denise Johnson. And the topic for today's show is, is psychotherapy really for black people? And my guest is licensed mental health professional, Terrence Nichols, founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling in White Plains, New York. You know, you and I are in this field, and yet there are people who think that, you know, there just aren't any African-American clinicians out there. And if you're looking for black psychiatrists, you're going to see more and more as time goes on, but there might be just a handful of them. But you have master's level professionals like myself who can also do the work or social workers who can also do the work. So you don't have to go to a psychiatrist or a doctor. You can use a master level clinician. I agree. Excellent. Very good and very well trained, I might add. Right. Um, So some people are unsure what to expect from treatment, right? Uh, Sometimes white people have grown up, and for generations their grandmother or grandfather may have gone to therapy. They've watched their mother go to therapy, father go to therapy. They become teenagers and they go to therapy. So they've seen this model for them, right? They know how it works. They see uh, and and hear that it's beneficial for them. So it seems like, right, this is what I need to do as well. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't have that model for us. So sometimes people will call me for an initial phone call and they'll say, mm-hmm. well, tell me how this works, you know, and, you know, everything from explaining how insurance works to how right. long a session is, how long yeah. we do session. You know, you, you're breaking down the basics. So there's that learning curve because, It's just not something we've had modeled for us for generations. That's true. And then from a a socioeconomic, just from an economic standpoint, um, thinking of, you know, sometimes people think if I go um, and take care of my mental health issues, then I might be missing out, let's say, on working some extra hours on my job, right? So there's a financial impact. (laughs) Or... Or therapy is costly. In order to do it, I'm going to need to get a babysitter. And, you know, that's going to be an added expense. And those things hold us back. Um, And then the last thing I want to add is uh, I find that a lot of people say, you know, I I went and I just, I spoke to my pastor. And amen, do that. But there sometimes (laughs) comes a point, (laughs) it comes a point, where yes. your pastor needs to have realized that, you know what, this is something that I can't treat, or this person needs additional help from a professional. Right, right. Um, because yeah. you could actually be doing the person a disservice by trying to help them if you're not qualified to help. Right, especially if it's related to one of the more severe uh, mental health issues that you were talking about or, you know, trauma issue right. or different things like that. I can see that being an issue. Absolutely. All right, then. Excellent list. So can you tell us some things that can make mental health treatment better for black people that you haven't already mentioned? Uh, yeah. Um, I think integrating it, uh, you know, I just talked about people, uh, you know, going to church or going to the pastors and kind of just integrating that spiritual orientation can make things better. Yes, uh, I agree. You know, 
their their religion is is familiar or Christianity is familiar, so build on that foundation. Yes, um, yes. I, let me I, just say, I, I don't think a lot of people I don't think a lot of people realize that like you, there are plenty of people that can integrate Christian counseling or, or any spiritual practice into their therapy work. The client just has to ask. Um, right. Because, because this, you know, we are mind, body, and spirit, and I think that even the world now recognizes that we are triune, you know, and not just right. cognitive. Right. That's, that's exactly right. And, you know, the wonderful thing I find as an advantage of, of Christian counseling is that I, I almost, I think that the, the clients tend to have an extra toolbox, right? Because yeah. they have this Bible that in between sessions with me, they can turn to. Right. Um, you know, they can pray to the Lord on the way to a session or on the way home from a session, Anywhere, you know, they can listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and they are getting uh, therapy continually, whereas someone who's solely just going for um, secular counseling, they feel great and invigorated during session and then they leave and then, you know, a day or two later, they're just saying, I can't wait to get back in the room because I need it again. I need another injection of this, (laughs) you know? Um, So I think integrating it would be important education as i said earlier you know you can't get something treated or seek treatment for something if you don't know that you have it Uh, so so understanding different diagnoses looking up your symptoms it's probably easier now than ever with the internet not that you can trust everything but it's a good place to start yeah um i think also understanding that you know, there's this uh, thought about nature-nurture and how much of one contributes to uh, someone maybe having a struggle or a mental illness. Mm-hmm. So is it your circumstances solely or is it something biological? It can be a little bit of both. Um, right. Right. And it's important to know that because just looking through history, you might say see a pattern of a certain diagnosis in your family, and that's important right. to know. Yeah. Um, so... So you can be aware of it, take a proactive approach of it. Uh, And then I think knowing that there are different alternatives, right, uh, for for treatment. You can go see a therapist. You can go see a psychiatrist. Right. You you know, does it have to, do you have to get on medication? Maybe not, right? Maybe talk therapy is enough. Or maybe, um, you know, medication is enough. studies show that the two combined are more effective than either separately. So you can explore that. Uh, There are walk-in centers now um, where if you're feeling dysregulated, you can just walk in and they can do a quick assessment or triage and determine what your next step should be. Right. there are day programs you can go to. There are inpatient programs like the hospital that I work for. And then if you need longer, some people that are discharged from my hospital mm-hmm. in that acute state, um, they might need more care. And they might go to a residential program for three months. Okay. So it depends on what you have. Um, yeah. There's group therapy. As we find out with this, this pandemic, now you can do therapy via telemedicine over some yeah. sort of video conferencing. Yeah. Um, which makes it convenient. 
And then I also worked for a psychiatric hotline at one time. And you can call in to that psychiatric psychiatric hotline. They're popping up all over the country now. And just, I mean, if you're in distress, you feel like you're going to hurt yourself, you can express that. If you are just looking for mental health services in your area, you can you right. can request that. And they have that right. information. Excellent. So I think all of those things, that knowledge and that information can also help. Excellent. And, you know, I just wanted to add one. I, I think that, if the therapy for the black person includes some form of racial justice, you know, helping the black person address racism, if it's at work or at school, um, helping black people, you know, address and process through their racial trauma in relation to how they've repeatedly been treated in, an, in a horrible manner year after year after year because of the color of their skin. You know, a lot of times issues having to do with race in particular are not addressed when you go to, I'm going to say, more traditional mental health treatment. But if you are a black right. person, these things may need yeah. to be incorporated in what you, you know, the help that you get because these are the real life things that you're dealing with. So, for instance, if a black person is going to therapy for, let's call it a so-called anger issue, if you're only going to talk to him about his internal anger without talking with, to him about the anger that is engendered by the fact that he has been, you know, discriminated against since he was a kid, you, you've only done mm-hmm. half of the job in terms of right. helping that black person navigate the world. And um, I think that if more clinicians and mental health people had, you know, racial things on their radar in terms of treatment, I think that black people also would be more likely to go. Yes. And and I think we have a responsibility as black clinicians to bring these topics up. Um, yes. I know that I do. I do. Because, yes. you know, I will say, particularly lately, you know, when in the intro and in talking to some yes. of my clients, how are the things going on affecting right. me? Yes. And it often opens the floodgates and, you know, we can only tackle these issues if we bring them up and are willing to work on them. Um, It requires me as a clinician to say, look, just because I'm black and America and I have my feelings about this, that my feelings are exactly the same as my clients. I need to be empathetic and try to understand how it is affecting my client, right, and not kind of impose my feelings or the intensity of my feelings on my client, which is also important. Um, And then I think, you know, in in doing that work and unpacking all those things, it's important to also come up with a plan on what to do next. Yes, Um, I agree. Because just to talk about it, yes, we've identified it, you need to do that, but then – what do we do with this, right? What do you do with your righteous anger? And there are yeah. things you can do, whether it's peaceful protests, whether it's donations, yeah. whether it's opening dialogue with people around you, yeah. but be willing to kind of put an action plan in place. And I think we as clinicians can come alongside of our, our clients and, and do that. Excellent. And, and kind of along that line of coming along mm-hmm. aside, you know, a lot of times we – go to um, black organizations um, like sororities or fraternities Mm -hmm. 
uh-huh. and um, you know other groups where they meet together, uh, which are great, but those can also be groups where we discuss mental health issues, you know, um, and you can have host the workshops and invite speakers, mental health professionals to your fraternity meetings or sorority meetings. Um, you can provide information to your members and just open the floor for candid discussions because oftentimes what I find is that if you just throw it out there, you will have deep discussions and everyone has something yes. to contribute. But you have to be willing to talk about it. Yes, and you know, I, I feel the same way about the church. You know, there are mm-hmm. so many black people in the pews at church who are suffering from yes. uh, stress and mental health issues, but sometimes, uh, depending on the attitude and the orientation of the preacher, sometimes the preacher inadvertently discourages people from getting mental health yes. treatment rather than opening up the pulpit in a way where education about mental health can come forth, right? Right, right, or attributing everything to sin. The reason you're going through this is because you're sinning, you know, right. and... And, and that discourages people, and people leave the church for that because they don't feel like they were heard. Um, in in this area, in New York, they have something called Mental Health First Aid, and mm-hmm. what it is is they are training people over a course of weeks in the church to be able to triage so that they can identify, yeah, when someone has a mental illness or the makings of a mental illness, and then they give them referrals, right? They're not therapists, so they don't treat, but they say, hey, this is something that you probably need to seek the help of a professional for. So I think that's that's important. I think pastors have to want to get educated on mental health. Um, So they know when this is something that is beyond their scope of handling. Um, and know when to refer to professionals when when they they know that you know maybe sometimes you know sometimes some pastors have partnerships with certain um, uh, rehab centers or you know, therapists yeah. in the area, and they may even give the church a discounted rate for the referrals right. that they get, and right. you start that relationship, and then you help your congregation get the help that they need. Excellent. Excellent. So can you give us some examples of where integrating a spiritual or cultural approach has actually helped some of your black clients? Yeah, for me, um, you know, I I do couples and I do um, individual therapy. And I remember, you know, sometimes I'll have a couple sitting across from me on that sofa and they're battling. Sometimes you feel like you're a referee. Right, uh, and, and and the the battle is so intense, and and there I can remember one time I I, I said you know what let's open our Bibles and let's go to scripture and yeah. let's say Philippians yeah. four and let's read this together right and in reading that scripture together they then are kind of focusing now on the positive things in their relationship. And this peace yeah. comes over the session and completely yeah. changes the momentum of the session. Yes. Yes. And I've seen that happen, yes. you know, or I'll give my clients um, homework, if you want to call it that, uh, yes. to do devotionals together. Right. Yes. And then they'll come in and they'll say, Oh, you know, it was such a blessing doing this devotional and my kids, 
they wanted to join in because they saw us doing this thing, and now it becomes this family thing, and that is that is special, you know. And then prayer. Uh, yeah. You you can't discount the power of prayer. Yes. Um, as I said, I start my sessions in prayer. I end my sessions in prayer. I encourage my clients to pray. And, yes. you know, I know for myself when I pray with my wife, that's when I find out what she's really going through, right? There right. are things that come up in her prayers that I say, wow, I didn't realize that was, you know, that big a deal for her. That is, the intensity was as great as it is, or it was troubling her that much. Uh, you know what I mean? So there's something really special about coming together and praying. Um, yes. And I've seen it work. And people will come back and they'll say, you know, we've just had this peace this week, and we don't know what it is. I said, well, you don't know what it is? Well, what did you change? And they said, well, yes. we've been praying. Amen. Yes. <laughs> that's, yes. that's, what, that's what caused it, you know. Yes. And now you have to keep it going, and you have to rejoice and praise him for the work he's doing in your relationship. Um, yes. And be, be willing to share your testimony with other people, right? And you sharing. Our, 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 the comfort that he gives us is supposed to be a comfort for others. And yes. that can only happen if we're willing to share. Um, I so I, agree. I find that the spiritual part um, is definitely useful. And as far as cultural, um, you know, I can validate uh, black clients' feelings to a certain degree because I can relate. Right. You know, um, there. I don't know if you saw it, but there, there are a stream of commercials now coming out. Um, and there was one in particular that talks about and shows the look that we sometimes get from um, people who are not African-Americans towards African-Americans. And it is so impactful. And it's, you know, as I'm watching this, I'm like, I know that look, right. you know, and I can identify with a client who has experienced that look. Well, I think this is the perfect place for a break. Please join me after the break when my guest, licensed mental health professional, Terrence Nichols, founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling in White Plains, New York, will talk more about whether psychotherapy is really for black people. everyone you are listening to spiritual principles for emotional healing and i am your host dr denise johnson and the topic for today's show is is psychotherapy really for black people and my guest 
is licensed mental health professional Terrence Nichols, founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling in White Plains, New York. I sometimes will get people who call me and they find me online and they say, I say, have you been seeing a therapist? Yes, but, you know, I don't think that he or she can relate to me because they don't understand. You know, and when I saw that you were a black male, too, and to find a black male, they're like, this is exactly what I think I need. So culturally, I'm able to relate and validate in a way that sometimes others may or may not be able to. Um, Speaking the language, you know, sometimes I'll have... I might have, let's say, a client, and they make a reference to Medea or something, yes, and I'm like, yes. okay, I understand where you're coming yes, from, but I say, exactly. you know, other clinicians would not understand yes, this. Yes, you know what I mean? True. Um, it is true. Or it is and true. Sh- showing, showing a, an interesting kind of just getting to know, not assuming that because I'm black and they're black that I know everything that they're going through, as I said earlier, really trying to understand the intensity of their feelings, what's fueling it. There might be some differences in their culture um, than, you know, an African-American versus someone who's Caribbean-American. You know, there might be some slight change differences yes, that you true. need to be, be willing to learn from your client. Yes, that's um, true. So the culture, the cultural piece is really important as well. Yes, yes, it is. And, and I love the fact that you, you brought up the fact, you know, all black people are not the same, right? And, you know, if you happen to come from an immigrant culture, there may be differences that, that need to be addressed as opposed to African-Americans who have been here for a couple hundred years, right? So, yes, right. culture is, is important. And the other thing that it makes me think of, I think no matter what, the intersectionality is of the clients. Because a lot of times, you know, you hear clinicians and, and say things, well, I treat everybody the same. You know, I don't look mm-hmm. at differences. But I, I'm going to tell you, we don't have to be afraid of each other's differences. It is in our differences right. where there's nuance and, and interesting things and, and, it's, it, and pain if, if people don't ask about it. So, you know, any culture, any intersectionality, male, female, black, white, right, different brown, uh, sexual orientation, you know, there's so many different intersectionalities these days that people are afraid to ask about and to address that. I think that if, if clinicians in general did that, I think they'd be surprised to see how much more all clients can benefit from this. Because I, I'm even thinking about, you know, Caucasian clients are now yeah. being impacted by, the, by racism and the things that they see on TV. And, and it gives them an opportunity to reevaluate their position regarding what they've been taught in this country about race and how they want to behave instead. Right. And, and you know, I have, I have Caucasian clients who in this time, in this climate, they ask me questions, you know, what is it like? And, you know, they can't, they can't, some people can't wrap their hands around, you mean the police can pull you over for no reason at all? And, and yeah, <laughs> not only yes, it's happened to me, you know? Um, so it's, yes, it, it, it does happen, but we have to, and, it is so, so important for clinicians, I think, and this is a model that I go with, is that 
I don't want to assume anything. We call this, you know, avoiding countertransference. I don't want to assume that I know everything about the person before me. Um, right. And I want to learn from them, right? I have, I have clients who are females, right? I'm not a female, right? So how do I understand? By asking questions. Can I treat them? Right. Absolutely. I have Caucasian clients. Can I treat them? Absolutely. I have Jewish yes. clients that have yes. different religious beliefs. Can I treat them? Absolutely. Yes. You know, yes. so, but it requires me to say, I am not going to impose what my beliefs, my thoughts, who I am on this person, but I need to try to understand and learn from this person who they are and how the things are affecting them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, what would your closing advice be to black people and other people of color about, get, about getting mental health treatment? I would say first thing is get information. Um, there's something called NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. It is okay. all over the country. They offer free information. I was once helped facilitate, uh, it was a program called Family to Family, where mm -hmm. you can, um, it's, for, it's, it's the, for the family members of someone with a diagnosis because, okay. you know, you're, the family members are often struggling too with the person right. who's struggling with the mental illness. Right. And right. they don't know what this is. And they think the person might be just lazy and having a bad day. And they might say, oh, I've had bad days too. But you know what? Major depressive disorder is different than just having a bad day. Right. Um, so these workshops help to educate them on various diagnoses. We talk about medication um, they hear from other family members the struggles that they're having and they can uh, validate each other's feelings and encourage each other with what works and what didn't work. Uh, and then they have things for people with the diagnosis. You get to hear other people and how they've successfully managed their mental illness. Uh, right. You as a person who may be managing your mental illness now with the help of therapy have the opportunity to share um, with others and maybe be that person in the spotlight, as they call it sometimes, um, who shares their journey, which can help other people. Yes, so exactly. getting information is a great way to start, and they, they offer free services. Um, the other thing is if you've, if you've never tried treatment, is just go and try it. Yes. You know, there are people who have insurance, and they're just because they're unsure of what to expect, again, trying to get some more information, but just try it. Be open-minded and try it. If you go into it and you say, this is not going to work for me, you're going to be right. Yes, that's right. You know, it, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But just right. go in with an open mind and say, I want what I've been doing hasn't been working, so I'm open to trying something new. Excellent. Um, I, I would also say a sense of urgency is important in that, you know, particularly thinking about depression, when you first get depressed, it starts what I call the depressive episode. And the longer that that episode lasts, the more resistant it becomes to interventions of either medication and or therapy. So as soon as you start to see those symptoms surface, you want to address them earlier rather than later. Right. Um, Another thing I often hear people say, oh, you know, Terrence, I've tried therapy in the past and it didn't work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, maybe your therapist wasn't the right therapist for you, right? Uh, maybe you couldn't have that rapport with the person. Or there's different types of therapy. There's one type of therapy yeah. which 
you know, the clinician believes you have all the answers inside of you, a person-centered approach, and they're just right. going to say, so tell me how you feel. Whereas yeah. a solution-focused therapist on the other end of the spectrum might say, okay, what's been bothering this week, and let's tackle this during the session. Yeah. So, you know, getting people to understand and help them educate them that not all therapies are the same. So if you've had a bad experience, it doesn't mean that all experiences will be horrible with therapy. So be willing to try is really yeah. important. And then the last thing is medication. You know, generally speaking, we don't want to take medication for anything, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. blood pressure, right. diabetes, mental yeah. health. Right. That's um, true. But, but the reality is if you need it, you need it. You know, right. um, the potential consequences could be severe, even death. Right. So, if you've tried other methods before, if you've tried talk therapy alone, if you tried to pull yourself out of it, if you've spoken right. to your past, you've done all those things and none of those things have been effective, be open to trying medication because yes. and, uh, yeah. that might be the thing that makes all the difference. That is true. And a lot of times I think that black people underestimate the notion that when somebody is having issues with their emotions and their mood, it's not all in their head. It actually is a can can be a reflective of a medical condition in terms of sure. right, neurotransmitters or parts of the yeah. brain may be overactive or underactive. I mean, there there may be real underpinnings as to why people are having ongoing issues with mood. And and one of the reasons why medicine may work is because it tries to address whatever those underlying deficiencies or overactivities or underactivities in the body are. Again, we're mind, body, and spirit. When you are feeling badly in your emotions, there is a body component that goes along with that. And so you may need to have a bodily response in terms of medication or exercise or diet, you know, there may be a physical intervention that is needed yes. even though the emotions are the things that you're working on. So um, right. I just want to let people know that as well. Yeah. And, and to piggyback on that, sometimes, for instance, an example would be we might get a, a patient in the hospital who is, let's say, in their 60s or 70s, never had a history of mental illness, but all of a sudden is completely delusional um, family reports that they've never had anything like that. And the first thing we check for is do they have a UTI? Because a urinary tract infection can present that way. And so you just treat the person with an antibiotic and guess what? All those delusions go away. So yes, Yes. there is a significant connection between the body, spirit, and the mind. Well, our time is up for today, and I just wanted to tell you that you have been an absolutely delightful and wonderful guest, very informative and very insightful, and I want to thank you again for the openness of your heart to share yourself with my audience and with those also who are in your world. It was my pleasure, Dr. Z. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So... How can the audience contact you or reach out to you if they want more information? Okay. Um, uh, you can www.terrencenichols.com is one way to, to reach me. That will actually take you to my private practice page. And then there's can a, a can way to send Can you spell it for us? Sure, absolutely. Uh, it's 
www.terrancetercenicholls.com. So that's that's one way. Facebook, same thing. My first name, last name on Facebook, Instagram, same thing. And if you're a Twitter person, my handle is Terrence Helps on Twitter. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, at the end of my show, I always ask my guests to say a prayer over the audience about today's topic. So I'm going to ask you to do that for me now. I would love to do that. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord. I thank you for uh, Dr. Denise providing this platform to get the word out to African Americans who might be struggling with mental illness, Lord. And we just pray that uh, all the listeners who are encouraged and are encouraged to get help and support for themselves or others that they may know or need. Um, I pray if, if you're out there and you've tried to fix the problem on your own, if the issues have been persistent for several weeks, if it's been interrupting your work, your school, your family life, I pray that, uh, Lord, you would guide these uh, listeners to clinicians who can come alongside of them and help them and take the time to explain um, how things work with counseling, with medication, Lord. And I just pray that you just you just guide them to the right clinicians and that you give those clinicians um, the insight to accurately diagnose and treat those people who come to them. So um, I just pray that everyone here listening also remembers that, Lord, we are created in your image um, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as your word says. And even if we are not perfect, no one is perfect, Lord. And those imperfections, we can turn to you uh, for help, help from the Holy Spirit, um, and be okay with knowing that we don't have to fix everything on our own, Lord, because you have blessed clinicians to do this kind of work. So we just thank you and praise you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you, O God, for another opportunity to speak your name. I praise you and thank you, O God, for giving us a venue in the marketplace, O God, where your name has the preeminence, O God. I thank you for the life of my guest today, O God, Terrence Nichols, O God. I thank you for how you had your hand on his life when he was young, O God. I thank you for the upbringing of his family, O God. I thank you, O God, that while he was yet trying to find his way, O God, you still had your hand upon his life, O God, guiding him and bringing him back to yourself. I thank you for your son who was alive on the inside of him, O God. I thank you how he uses the Holy Spirit to help him in his pursuits to help others, O God. I bless his hands, O God, as he reaches out to touch others in your name. I bless the clients, oh God, at the mental health hospital where he works, oh God. I speak life over them, oh God. I speak healing over them, oh God. I bind the spirits of depression and bipolar disorder and anger and schizophrenia and, and substance abuse and anything else that is coming against them, oh God. I thank you, oh God, that despite being in the hospital, they will find their release and their redemption and their healing in you. I speak over his clients at his private practice, oh God, and White Plains, New York, oh God, I thank you for their lives, oh God. I thank you that the same God who raised 
Jesus from the dead will also quicken their mortal bodies, O oh God, and change their neurochemistry and, and change the structure and function of their brain, O oh God, and, or, or anything else, O oh God, that is causing them to have their symptoms, O oh God. I speak life over it and healing in your name. I speak over the audience now, O oh God. For those in the audience, O oh God, black people and, and other people of color and, and, and people of European descent alike, O oh God, who find themselves today, O oh God, with mental health issues, O oh God, I breathe the breath of life over them, O oh God. I thank you that they will not give up hope, O oh God, for their hope and their strength and their redemption and their healing is in you. I thank you that you reveal yourself to them in a real and mighty way, O oh God. Send them to the right doctors, the right counselors, O oh God. Those that need to take medication, O oh God, I thank you that you will take the fear away regarding medicine, O oh God, and that they will participate in their healing the way the people in the Bible participated in theirs, O oh God. I thank you, O oh God, that you are awakening up the field of mental health, oh God, to recognize how systemic racism has impacted them, oh God, and how that systemic racism has impacted the healing of people of color, oh God. I thank you, oh God, that we call down the wall of racism and mental health. We call down the wall of racism in our country. Oh God, I thank you that you are reconciling people one to another and to yourself, oh God. I just speak life, healing, love, joy, peace, redemption reconciliation, O oh God, over all who are under the sound of my voice. I love you. I praise you. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, O oh God, that you are giving this show the ability to make our small contribution to what you were doing now in the earth realm. We just commit all of these things into your hands. We love you and adore you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Spiritual Principles for Emotional Healing. And I am your host, Dr. Denise Johnson. And this show will be available to you to listen to on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash spiritual principles for emotional healing. And you can also hear my show on Spotify. Because I am believing God that as you repeatedly listen to these prayers, He will heal your brokenness the same way He has used these prayers to minister to my brokenness. And lastly, I want you to always remember where your spirit leads, your emotions, power, and destiny will follow.